Amen. Again, Psalm chapter 50. Psalm 50. I guess you guys know that if you ever are away on vacation, um, that these sessions are all recorded. Josh, I think, normally posts them on Sunday afternoon. Uh, they're not live like our other services, but he does uh, post them. And so, uh, recommend, uh, you know, recommend your friends and family listen. Uh, you never know what the Lord's going to do. Uh, Eight things we always or usually uh, just always make statements to begin our class. Uh, number one, nothing can be taken back. Uh, that's been done. Uh, what's done is done. Number two, all we can hope to change is today and tomorrow. And by the grace of God, they can change. If you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, uh, you're not going to get out in a day. Uh, you didn't get where you are in a week or a month. Not going to get out in a week or a month, but by the grace of God, things can be better. You can get out. Uh, number four, you can only control one person. Uh, I hope you just it, deeply in your heart and mind, if one person in any situation is doing what's right and under control, uh, it will help every situation. Number five, there's always hope with God involved, and uh, I've had a lot of marriage counseling over the years been in a lot of situations, and uh, sometimes people decide they never really loved. You can begin to love. Sometimes people decide they don't love enough. You can love more. Uh, sometimes they decide they don't love anymore. Uh, you can love again. Uh, you got to get God involved. God is love. Uh, number six, no one's destined to repeat the bad home in which you were raised. You can have a good home. Number seven, no one's guaranteed to succeed. If you were from a home where your parents' marriage was great, you can fail. And number eight, the person to whom you're married is the one you're supposed to be married. I uh, just do a, have a couple of questions today. Um, you know, we pretty much over either in class or other questions have uh, covered the stuff we finished last week. Um, and quite frankly, our subject's a little longer. Question number one, my spouse's co-workers are all the opposite gender. I trust my spouse, but I don't trust some of their co-workers. What should I do? Uh, everybody has fears. Uh, the things we're afraid of uh, vary from person to person, you know, depending on our background, our disposition, our, our maturity. Uh, if you're the concerned spouse, uh, start by expressing your concerns in a good tone and a good time. Uh, if you're the employee, uh, do everything you can to reassure your spouse uh, of your love and your commitment. If you're the employee, uh, I think you ought to do things and let your spouse know about them that reassure them. I mean, for instance, uh, I, I worked a secular job uh, from when I was saved in uh, a long time ago, 1984, uh, until 1997, when I uh, went on staff at, at church. So 13 years between um, 24 and 37 in my last job, uh, literally everybody in my office was a bunch of women. They were all uh, my age. And make rules for yourself. Uh, I mean, for instance, I would never go out to lunch with one woman. Now, if all four or five of them from the office went, I did go with four or five of them. But, I mean, do things like that. Uh, listen, you, you have Christian liberty to do more than the minimum. And, and so make some rules for yourself 
that not only protect you, protect your testimony, and, and reassure your spouse. Uh, listen, if you're the concerned spouse, make the, decision, make the situation a matter of prayer. Uh, have a good conversation at a good time and in a good tone. Uh, I've got this simple statement. Uh, satisfied sheep are far less likely to stray than unhappy and starving ones. The, the best protection you have for your marriage is have a good one. You know, just both of you work to meet the emotional and physical needs of your spouse. Uh, it's just it's a wonderful thing. Question number two, what do I do if my spouse does not seek my advice? Uh, what I would say, uh, begin by facing the situation honestly. Uh, did your spouse have opportunity to uh, talk to you before they made a decision? Was the issue big enough that they should have talked to you about it? Is the decision in an area where you've delegated that area to your spouse? I mean, those are all good questions. You've got to face that honestly. I, I really don't think that uh, either a husband or a wife needs to run everything they do by their spouse. Uh, I think that's infantile. Uh, but I do think there are things you should talk about. And so face the situation honestly. And if it was something that, well, there was really no reason for them to seek my advice and you're just being proud, uh, face it honestly. On the other hand, if really they probably, you, you guys should have talked before your spouse made the choice, uh, make the situation a matter of prayer, pick a good time, pick a good tone, have an adult conversation. Um, most of the time, uh, these situations are not some one of the spout, one of you like despitefully hiding or not including the other person most of the time. Most of the time, it's just people are immature in how they communicate and what they decide to communicate about um, most of the time. Uh, now, when we get to our subject today, uh, one of the four major areas over which uh, husbands and wives uh, allow their disagreements to boil over into fights is how we handle our money. Uh, probably if we were to list the things that we feel most strongly about, uh, number one would be our children. And so it's no surprise we have a lot of disagreements over how to handle the children. Um, second thing is probably money. And so it's also no surprise, since we all have a lot of strong feelings about it, uh, we have a lot of disagreements over how to handle our money. Uh, and so, uh, before we can talk about bank accounts, spending money, extra purchases, who manages the budget, we really, we need to lay a foundation. I mean, understand that if we lay a biblical foundation for this area of our life, then, and both spouses understand this biblical foundation, we're, we're not going to have major disagreements over this if we are looking at our money like our Creator has taught us to look at our money. Uh, because every area of life, uh, God has given us some basic principles uh, to be blessed. Uh, I want to live a blessed life. Uh, we talked earlier after Brother Mike mentioned a prayer request for um, his family. Uh, listen, if you are going to be the kind of person, a lot of the people that I deal with when they have problems, this is how they handle their life. Um, I don't carefully manage how we handle my children until we have problems with our children. 
I don't carefully manage my marriage until I have problems with my marriage. I don't carefully manage my money until I have problems with my money. I mean, it's just a terrible way to live life. And people who live their life wisely, they, they understand these principles and they put these in their life and they trust that God is, is going to work it out uh, and he will. And so the title of our thought is just handling our money together. And so we're going to lay some uh, three Bible principles and then we're going to talk about some practical application. See, a lot of people, what they want is they want uh, to talk about the practical application, but they don't want to talk about the Bible principles. And these Bible principles are absolutely essential uh, before we can understand what to apply. Uh, here's the first Bible principle. Number one, everything belongs to God. <laughs> so, Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. Uh, God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hunger, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. That's pretty strong. Turn back a few pages to Psalm 24. Verse 1. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. I mean, everything belongs to God, uh, including they that belong, dwell therein. Uh, in fact, if you're a Christian, God has described you as being purchased with Christ's blood. Uh, now, some people, uh, I'm not talking about just lost people, you know, struggle with God's ownership, so to speak. Uh, saved people struggle with God's ownership because in their heart, they have never really embraced the fact that God is good. In their heart, they've never really embraced the fact that God loves them and, and knows better than they do. See, see, if you haven't embraced the fact that God is good and that God loves you and has a better plan for your life, you're always going to struggle with this idea that God owns everything and God owns you. Uh, and none of us will ever handle our money well to acknowledge that everything we have belongs to God and comes from God. Listen, the ability and the health to make money comes with the grace of God. The education, skills, and strength to make money, they come from the grace of God. The opportunity to work and use our education, our skills, uh, it, it comes from the, by the grace of God. Listen, next week, a uh, week from tomorrow, we'll be going to Nicaragua. There are a lot of people there. They want to work, and they have skills to work, but there's no work. You know, the average pay where I'm going is $120 a month for an electrician. I mean, how do you like that, Aaron? $120 a month, and they're glad to have it. Um, our financial ruin or blessing, it's in God's hands. By the way, that's true if we behave ourselves wisely or badly. Now, when we think about everything belonging to God and our wealth belonging to God, it directly contradicts the basic thinking uh, that everything we have is ours. If our basic thinking is everything I have is mine, you're never going to make good decisions when it comes to handling your money or your life. Uh, Jeff Bezos is a founder of Amazon. I'm told as of right now, though he's lost several tens of billions of dollars lately, uh, he's today only worth $114 billion. By the way, Jeff Bezos only is that wealthy because God allowed him to be. 
As far as I know, Jeff Bezos makes no acknowledgement of uh, God, our Creator. As far as I know, makes no acknowledgement of Jesus being the Son of God. God allowed Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and any billionaire you want to name. Uh, in contrast to that, my grandparents, uh, they inherited a 65-acre farm in, in Michigan. And I watched them as a child work from dawn to dusk. Uh, Monday through Saturday, every day, and they all they had was uh, enough food to eat. <laughs> That's all they had. Uh, they were happy. They the family fruit stand. Uh, the one sign, the, literally the only sign on the thing. It didn't say apples three bucks. There nothing. The only sign was closed Sunday, and that was their acknowledgement of the fact that they had faith in God. They had nothing, but they had faith in God. I watched them as a kid, and honestly, as a lost kid, I'm like, man, that's stupid. I watched them give money away. I watched them give food away. I watched them have poor people come in and want to work on this or that, and they would uh, let them work and give them a buck. I was so angry as a kid. I, uh, we picked potatoes. You drag a basket along, and you fill it with potatoes, and you get 10 cents a thing, and uh, 10 cents a bushel, and then if you load it and unload it, you would get a buck for loading and unloading. And I remember uh, some kids coming and they hardly picked any potatoes and they loaded and unloaded and my grandfather paid them as much as he paid me. I was furious. And I said, Grandpa, I quit. He said, fine. <laughs> Next day I was back picking potatoes. Uh, l l listen, God controls who has what abilities and what wealth everybody has. I didn't say we understand it, but I will just say this. Wealth is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing, and poverty is not necessarily a sign of his displeasure. But because God is good and he owns everything, to whatever it is, to whatever degree, God has entrusted to your care and mine some amount of wealth and some amount of stuff. Here's the second principle. Go to Malachi chapter 3. See, if everything I have belongs to God, then I am a steward over God's stuff. Uh, it is very different to be a steward over God's stuff than to be a steward over my stuff. Uh, when I was a youth leader... Uh, one time, somebody in my new truck took in the snow and with a piece of uh, ice wrote something that went through and scratched the paint, whatever they wrote in it. Uh, my first thought was, well, that was really dumb. And my second thought was, it's not my truck anyway. It really didn't bother me that much, though I really would have preferred to not have scratched high brother Wally in my uh, hood. It, it, listen, it changes everything when we understand that everything we have belongs to God. Here's a second principle. We demonstrate our faith and acknowledge that by giving God the first tenth. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, uh, if I will open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Uh, now, some form of the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E, occurs 43 times in the Bible. Eight are in the New Testament. The word just literally, literally means one-tenth. Uh, tithing did not start with Moses and the giving of the law to the Jews. Tithing started with Abraham in Genesis 14. It was repeated again with his grandson Jacob in Genesis 28 when he got right with God. In fact, Jesus specifically taught to tithe in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Uh, I get so weary of people who say dumb things like, well, we're not under law, we're under grace. Uh, have you ever really thought about that? So you're trying to tell me, sir, that under grace, with the full knowledge of God, the completion of the ministry, life, and work of Jesus, and the completed New Testament, that God expects less from me than he did an Old Testament Jew? Does that make sense to anybody? If tithing was just an Old Testament Jewish saying, listen, God expects more from us. Now, when we refuse to tithe, we miss some of the financial blessings God wants to give us. The Bible teaches we reap according to what we sow. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Tithing will not make you rich, but it will make you have more than you would have if you didn't tithe. Refusing to tithe will not necessarily make you poor but you will have less than you would have otherwise had if you had honored God with the first tenth. Remember, God owns everything, and we begin by acknowledging that by giving God the first tenth. Um, I actually think that it's worse uh, missing the blessings of tithing. I actually think it's worse when we fail to acknowledge that everything I have belongs to God. You say, well, you won't be blessed if you don't tithe. Well, that's true. But you know what? It's worse than that. The fact that, you know what? I'm not going to acknowledge everything I have belongs to God. I, I believe that's worse. You can differ if you want. Um, I, I actually, I personally believe that people will have better jobs and more stuff on your 90% than you would ever have keeping that for yourself. Um, here's the third principle, Matthew 6. And then we'll... Talk about some applications. Matthew 6, just a few pages up. Uh, first, everything belongs to God. Secondly, we acknowledge that or demonstrate our faith in that by giving God the first tenth. And here's the third principle, and then we'll make some applications. Uh, here's the third one. Our heart follows what we choose to treasure. Our heart follows what we choose to treasure. Uh, verse 21 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice not where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Whatever you and I choose to treasure, our heart will follow. You choose to treasure sports, your heart will go to sports. Choose to treasure your family, your heart will go to your family. You choose to treasure your wild, the wilderness uh, or the Florida beach or whatever. Whatever it is you and I choose to tre treasure, our heart will follow that. Uh, because that is the way our hearts, uh, with our mind, 
we decide what we're going to treasure, and our heart follows whatever we choose to treasure. Listen, if you've lived very long, I mean, you understand what I'm talking about, that there have been times you decide, you know what, I'm going to value this, and you decided to value it, and you kept valuing it, and pretty soon your heart was in it. Our heart follows what we choose to treasure. Listen, if we decide to treasure the things of God, our heart will go to that. Because of the fact of the matter is, look at verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is just riches. No one can have both riches and God on the throne of your life. I'll make a, just a simple statement. Seek God first and you will always have enough money. Seek money first and you will never have enough money. Seek God first, you will always have enough money. Seek money first and you will never have enough money. So why is that? Our heart goes to whatever we treasure. And this, on, on this foundation, then, now we can begin to answer questions that impact our marriage, like, uh, should we combine our bank accounts? Should we have credit cards? Um, how can we afford the toys my husband wants? Should we build a budget? What do we do when one spouse makes way more money than the others? How much uh, spending money should we each be allowed? Can we ever stop fighting about money? Uh-huh. The questions go on and on and on. And on those foundations and on a couple of other biblical principles, I kind of I kind of like I've done a couple of other times in here. I just sort of want to sit across the table from you and just talk. Uh, Proverbs 19.20 says, Hear counsel, receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Uh, and so here's the first thing, first practical application. Number one, husbands should select the most competent and available person to handle the money. The Bible principles, husband's ahead of the home. Listen, brother, you need to be honest about your real skills and the skills of your wife. If your wife has more skills in this, whoever manages your money, then number one, they have to have some math skills. Number two, they have to be interested in details. And number three, they have, enough they have to have enough character to be able to stay on top of this. And, and brother, if that is not you, you need to face it honestly and put your wife in charge. And listen, I'm not less of a pastor because I have put different people in charge of areas of the Lord's church here. That's me simply acknowledging, hey, I can't do everything. And while they've got some skills and gifts in that area, um, run that area. It should be something you both agree on. Uh, in an ideal world, you both would stay aware of what's going on. Uh, let me ask you, who's in charge of the finances at your house? If the most competent and interested person is not in charge, you need to pick a point person. Start there. Here's a second practical application. Number two, combine your finances. The Bible principle is this, is that in marriage, two become one. Uh, now, I do know of one or two uh, couples that I consider to be godly couples who have uh, separate bank accounts, but understand that's rare, that's unusual, and it's also a violation of a Bible principle. Now, I'm not talking about if you have a separate bank account because it's a holding place for you to pay for something that is your responsibility to pay, responsibility to pay in your relationship. I, I'm talking about 
a failure of a husband to trust a wife, a wife to trust her husband. This whole idea of your money and my money instead of our money, it is contrary to this whole idea that everything we have is ours. Um, if the wife is staying home, or if one of you, either one of you has a much higher income potential than the other, listen, it ought to always be our check, not my check. Uh, when Sharon was at home with our kids and uh, I was working, it was always our check. See, it's a, it's a mindset. Uh, mine, yours, or, or ours. And, and, and what you're doing is you're building this, hey, we're both in this together mindset. And by the way, because it's ours, that means uh, one or the other of you, you shouldn't make any, quote, major purchases without the other person involved. You say, what's major? Depends. You, you know, uh, in the early years of our marriage, when uh, she was home with our, our kids and uh, we had one income, you know, major was 100 bucks. I mean, whatever's major to you, wherever you are in life, listen, Jeff Bezos, he don't care about 100 bucks. But we're not Jeff Bezos. Whatever's major to you ought to have your spousal input. Uh, let me ask you, are you combining finances? Do you have the right attitude about your money? Uh, do you have a way to make decisions? Listen, if you can't reach an agreement on something major and whether to spend money on it, you ought to have some, I've said this over and over, have somebody in your life that you go to. Uh, listen, I have, there, there's some people that I feel like are really good with their money, and if I have some financial thing that's going on, I'll ask them. You say, we are 63 years old, haven't you learned a thing? Yeah, I've learned that I don't know everything. I, I've learned that there's some people that are really good in areas that I'm just okay. And so you ought to have somebody already you go to. You know why people don't do that? You don't want anybody to tell you anything you don't want to hear. Here's the third thing. Go to Proverbs 22. We're just sitting across the table. Even though I'm standing up here. We're pretending we're sitting across the table. We're just making practical applications of biblical principles. If you went through premarital counseling with me, this is nothing new to you. You say, why? Be because it's built on Bible principles. That, that's why. See, a lot of people, they don't bother to learn the Bible. And then some people that know it, they don't allow God to actually know more than them in any area other than salvation. Well, I believe the Bible when it says Jesus saves. Well, do you believe the Bible when it teaches you how to parent, how to handle your money, how to, on and on and on the list goes. Here's the third thing. Minimize your debt. Minimize your debt. Proverbs 22, 7. Proverbs 22, 7. This is a great Bible and life principle. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. If you read any of David, uh, Dave Ramsey's material, and by the way, he gives good financial advice. I would not go to him for advice on how to live a Christian life. 
Uh, you can disagree if you want, but I don't believe most people that follow Dave Ramsey's advice are actually trying to be able to give more later, though maybe a few are. I believe most of them, they just want to be rich. And for some people, they end up giving more later, thank God. But the principle is simply this. You and I are a servant to whoever we owe money to. And the less people we owe money to, or the less companies we owe money to, uh, the better off we are. Listen, debt is a major problem in a lot of churches and a lot of families. And the worst kind of debt you can possibly have is credit card debt. Uh, most credit card debt is anywhere between 15 and 22% interest rate. I've known some people to go buy here, pay here car lots and have over 20% interest payments on cars too. I mean, please. <laughs> Get some wise counsel. That, that debt is terrible. Terrible. Um, be honest with yourself. Can you control a credit card? And if you can't, you need to use a debit card or you need to use cash. Uh, please. Now, if you can't control yourself, credit cards are great servants. We put literally everything possible on our credit card. We get 2% free money every month on it, and we pay it off every month. And if you have control of yourself, man, it's, it's free money. Unless you do something dumb like I did last month, and then I'd pay 37 bucks which was more than like the benefits over like several months. But, you, you, you know, aside from doing dumb stuff. Now, a couple key things to remember when it comes to debt. Be honest enough to recognize your weaknesses. If you can't handle a credit card, get rid of them. Um, here's the second thing when it comes to debt. Uh, be prepared to take the time to get yourself out of it. Uh, you didn't get in debt in a day. You're not going to get out in a day. You, you know, I'm amazed at people. They go and they, they go to these organizations that combine all their debt. And, you, you know, they, they get this debt combination. Then they keep their credit cards and, and just make more. You've you got to be honest with who you are. Listen, there's a lot of Christian people that have cursed finances. Because all their income goes toward out-of-control debts. Um, when it comes to debt, here's the third thing. Recognize your real earning potential and where you are in life. You know, everybody has a different earning potential. And by the way, if you're blessed with a lot of uh, earning potential, it's nice because then you can make some mistakes and they don't hurt you so bad. But if you're not blessed with as much earning potential and you're still young, listen, little mistakes, can they, they can really cost you. Cost you. Uh, you're not in the same place as your parents. We were raising our kid. I remember taking our, 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 our boys out. There were three boys, and I would buy one icy. And we would split the icy. And I, I've told this story over and over and over. And I would sit there with my pinch on the straw because everybody knew when it was their turn. You suck on the straw as hard as you can. And poof. I mean, now, listen, I buy everybody an icy. But you've got to be honest about where, where you are. You know, we wanted sharing home with our kids. You may not. We, we did. And, you know, that means that you don't have as much spending money. And we embraced that. We didn't whine about it all the time. But now, I mean, our kids are gone. It's completely different. 
Be honest about where you are. Uh, don't fall for quick solutions to your problem. Go to Proverbs 28. You've heard me say many times, I wish every Christian regularly read some parts of Proverbs. I don't care if you read five a day, ten a day, fifteen a day. I don't care if you're going to be aggressive and try to read a chapter a day. I can't do that. Myself, I read uh, 14 chapters a month. Uh, that means in February i got to hit on all cylinders. That means every other month I can blow it a couple of days and still finish my 14 chapters. Uh, but Proverbs 28.20 says uh, this, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Anything that tries to make you money fast or in a hurry is probably not legit. <laughs> if you're in a hurry to be rich, uh, listen, if you're a young adult and you've never fallen for a get-rich-quick station, uh, uh, something you ought to just thank God and your mom and dad. Uh, because a lot of people have one of those in their, in their past uh, mark it down if the potential for profit and gain seems too good to be true, it likely is. Hear me when I say this. A lot of people have a lot of problem doing the will of God in their life because they don't handle debt well. Uh, I want to just thank God for grace. And I know this is not your course. This is Sharon and my path. Uh, we took a, a $15,000 plus pay cut to remain at the same church because we felt like God wanted us there when my company closed and they wanted me to go to Wisconsin and move. I felt, she felt, like we were in the place doing the thing as volunteers where God wanted us and so when they offered that job, we didn't take it. 15,000 uh, bucks a year. And then when we felt like God was calling us into ministry from my uh, engineering job, we took another $15,000 pay cut. And then when we felt like God was leading us up here to start the church, we took another $15,000 pay cut. And, and again, I mean, it would build up. I mean, it wasn't 15, 15, 15. But, but listen, uh, by the grace of God, because we did handle our money and our debt well, we could do the will of God in our life. What is your future? You don't know. But I do know this, is if you don't handle your debt well, you won't be able to do it. Did, did you ever think maybe God might someday, even as a layperson, say, you know what, I don't want you in this job that's taking 60 hours of your week. I want you in this job that's taking 45 hours a week, and you're going to take the pay cut because I want you to do this and this and this and this. Proverbs 21. We're just talking about principles, practical principles. Proverbs 21.20, the principles save something. <laughs> Proverbs 21.20, uh, there's treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but the foolish man spendeth it up. Uh, it is foolish to live paycheck to paycheck. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. Uh, I'm told over 60% of American households live paycheck to paycheck. It's foolish. I didn't say that. God said it. 
Uh, you should invest something in retirement. <laughs> but not so heavily. Your priorities are messed up today. Uh, I met one time with, with a couple. Uh, they were fighting over finances. He owned his own business. And, uh, I, I mean, man, if, if you'd have listened to his business plan and how he was depriving his wife and his family, you, you'd have shaken your head. And he said, uh, I have a five-year business plan. I said, well, why don't you think instead of having a 10-year business plan and invest in your wife and in your children? And uh, he didn't listen. And so he ended up destroying his marriage and losing his business. Um, save something. Don't neglect God and your family to get out of debt in two years when you can follow God and not neglect your family and get out in five years. I, in this, I strongly disagree with Dave Ramsey. The goal in life is not to get out of debt. The goal in life is to prioritize your life right. Uh, listen, when, when our kids were young, uh, our vacation was you go to the beach. Say, what'd you do? We went to the beach. We didn't have any money to do anything else. That was a vacation. And you know what? Everybody was happy. But if you don't save anything, you ought to have an emergency fund. You ought to have a Christmas fund. If, again, if you were in premarital counseling, you ought to have a vacation fund. Uh, listen, that money, you're investing in your family, in the relationship with your spouse and your children. Why are you so concerned about a big 401K and you don't invest in the people in your life? Here's number five. Agree in a system for prioritizing what you spend extra money on. Most people struggle to live within their means. Um, in fact, some people never conquer this. They struggle with money all their life. Uh, and I'll just say, make a statement. Your children need you more than they need stuff. So because of that, you should build a budget. <laughs> Base it on facts. Pay your unchangeable expenses first. If you're that far in debt, consider some things you can sell. Just be honest. Allow money in your budget for each of you to spend without being questioned. I think it's really, do it if you want. I just think it's really dumb. Hey, Sharon, uh, can I go out to eat today with my friends? I don't think that's a healthy relationship. I didn't expect her to call me. Hey, uh, do you care if we go to the water park today? It's $5 to get in. I think that's a silly, infantile, immature way to live your life. You each ought to have some amount of money that you spend that you don't have to answer any questions. Now, whatever amount that is, it depends on where you are in life. And by the way, brother, if your wife is staying home, you ought to give her more money than you get. Uh, Proverbs 19. And I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm almost out of time. I ain't done. I'm almost ready to stop. Uh, l listen, the, these basic principles, they will help your home. Here's number six. Never make major financial decisions quickly. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2. Notice what it says. It says that the soul be without knowledge. It is not good. He that hasteth with his feet sinneth. So what's going to happen if you get in a hurry? 
going to end up sinning. Give yourself, when you're making a major purpose purchase, give yourself time to think and pray. Get some wise counsel. If some salesman ever says to me, whether it's a house, an appliance, a car, any major purchase, if they ever say to me, hey, listen, this might not be uh, here tomorrow, the first red flag that goes up in my mind is good. Because that means if God doesn't want me to have it, he's got a good way to get rid of it before I get involved. Hey, listen, if you've ever bought anything major, you know what it's like to get the fever. You know, you work through this process and you finally decide, I'm going to buy a car or I'm going to buy a refrigerator or I'm, you name it, whatever it's big, you get this fever and you got to get it, got to get it, got to get it. And, and, and you got to temper that with this whole idea that almost every major thing you do in a hurry is going to somehow end up being a bad decision. And then lastly, and I'm only going to make the sentence statement, teach your children the value of money and how to properly handle it. First by your example, and then more than that. And, and I don't have time to talk about it. We talk about it in the parenting class. But I'll stop, and I'm out of time. Uh, you should have a little card there. Put some kind of a question, statement, comment, um, abuse of children uh, statement because we had to split an IC and the germs involved are horrific. Uh, Whatever you want to uh, put on there, fold it in half and pop it in the box. Uh, Thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed.